When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Guys, welcome to a special episode of TFL Talking Trucks. I have a special guest on this podcast uh, who is friend of the show, Tom Malogny. Hey, Tom. How's it going, Andre? Thanks for having me on. Yes. So, Tom, you have your own channel out there, State of Charge. Um, you're also a senior editor at Inside EVs, correct? That's correct. Yeah, I've been a long-time editor at Inside EVs. I've been writing for them for many years. And a couple of years ago, I started a YouTube channel called State of Charge and uh, been spending a lot of time on that lately. That's a clever name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is all about charging. I, You know, there's so many things that you could cover with electric vehicles. I don't do a lot of reviews. When I do those, it's for Inside EVs. But my channel is really dedicated to electric vehicle charging and charging station hardware reviews and things like that. So I kind of have a little bit of a narrow focus, but it's what I really am passionate about. So that's why I wanted to make a YouTube channel on it. Very cool. And this show, I, I want to dedicate to a couple of things. Uh, this is truck focused, pickup trucks, right? And you and I recently went to the Rivian R1T and R1S event. Um, it was focused a little bit more on the SUV. And um, I wanted to kind of, you know, get some of your thoughts on that, um, on that new SUV. And you also just picked up a Ford F-150 Lightning. Yeah, on Friday, I got a funny thing is I do the Inside EVs podcast. I'm a guest there. And while I was do, finishing up the podcast last Friday, I got a call from our dealership and I took it live on the show. And it was, you know, your truck's here to pick up. And like maybe 15 minutes earlier, I was complaining like, you know, I don't know when this thing's going to get here because I showed through the Ford website that it was built uh, May 18th. So I was like, wow, it's more than a month. Get that damn thing on a carrier and get it to me. I want this truck, you know? So uh, if, if any of you people out there are, are waiting for their lightning, don't live by what that online portal says because it lags way behind. As a matter of fact, I got an email today that said your truck's been built and we're going to ship it to your dealership soon. So, but you have it already. You, you, yeah. have, you have it. So you know, it's 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 not as good as like BMW's online portal. When I used to, when I bought my electric BMWs, they have a really good portal that really updates you. It shows you the carrier it's on. You know, when it's coming over in the boat, and it's pretty accurate. But the Ford's is way behind what reality is actually. Well, uh, we'll. we'll what matters is you have your truck, right? So, so I want to talk a little bit about that. Of course, TFL Studios, we uh, also own a long-term F-150 Lightning uh, that we're uh, close to embarking on our trip uh, cross country and to Alaska. We're calling that Northern Lightning. So I wanted to get some of your thoughts because uh, you know charging an infrastructure is going to be a big question for us, um, especially as we're getting into some of the less populated areas. Um, and so, uh, but I also, before we uh, dig into the, these subjects, I want to thank uh, supporters of TFL Talking Trucks podcast, which is basically uh, the listeners and viewers, you guys. So thank you very much. Patreon.com is where you support us. Uh, Patreon.com slash TFL car. I wanted to thank uh, William Janak and Alvin Brock, who recently uh, supported us there. So thank you guys, um, as always. Um, so... Uh, where should we start? Should we start with the Rivian R1S 
which I would consider a truck because it does have a frame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a truck. I mean, it's it's a sport utility vehicle, but yeah. you know, you, you drove it, I drove it. That can go where any truck can, and where most can't. You know, it's really uh, uh, amazingly capable. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would totally agree. So, and I want to get your some of your opinions on this because as I was driving it, and actually we paired up on that event. So, so thank you for that. Um, and as I was driving it, it's a new vehicle, right? The reason why I'm calling it a truck in quotes, I'm doing air quotes, is because it, it is truly. I mean, it has a steel frame that that's housing. It's basically the skateboard uh, platform chassis. Uh, that steel frame houses the batteries and the motors and some of the other components. And that, that's where the suspension is attaching. Um, and then you have kind of a mostly aluminum body, not completely aluminum, but most of it is uh, kind of sitting on top of it. They do have a pickup truck version of that uh, platform with the R1T um, and now the new SUV that we recently drove. Um, and it's super capable because it's not just an on-road SUV. It's also can be a very capable off-road SUV, as we found out. Exactly. And, you know, I did the uh, R1T first drive event that they had out in Colorado last, I think it was September. Mm -hmm. And honestly, you know, I'm not an experienced off-road guy. I've owned a lot of pickup trucks. I live in, in northern New Jersey, uh, but I've owned them for mostly on-road use. Like I do snow plowing. I have a um, I actually sold it recently. I used to own a piece of commercial property with a big parking lot, and I always needed to plow the parking lot. And I have a long driveway myself. It's about 350 feet long. So I used my truck to do snow plowing more so than off-road adventure. So I went into that without a lot of off-roading experience. I'd been in friends' vehicles that we did off-roading just for fun, but I'm not an experienced off-road guy. I enjoy it, but I just haven't had the opportunity to do it. And after the R1T, I left and I was like, you know, gobsmacked. I couldn't believe how somebody who's inexperienced like myself could take that on extraordinarily challenging trails. And it just kind of handled it with a plum. Like it just, it was, I, the way I described it was to say it was like inevitable. It was like lava. Like it just slowly kept moving forward smoothly and steadily. You know, you didn't have to match revs. You didn't have to, you know, play with a, a clutch and get the RPMs up and, you know, back off. It just, it would just kept crawling slowly forward and it just went over every obstacle and through everything we had. So I was just amazed by that. And so were the other people on, on, on the drive, the more experienced off-road people uh, as yourself. But um, going into the R1S, I said, you know, it can't do better than, than the R1T. Like I can't feel, I can't leave this and say, wow, that's actually even a better off-road vehicle, but I did. And, mm -hmm. and I suppose it was because of the shorter wheelbase. Now, you have a lot more experience really, you know, pushing trucks to the limit and going off-road. And you could probably explain that a little better than I can, but that's how I felt when I left. I said, you know, this is an even better off-road vehicle than their pickup truck. And that's just, to me, it was amazing. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, like you said, the wheelbase, uh, because the shorter the wheelbase, really kind of the breakover angle in the middle uh, becomes better. Um, just, uh, you know, basic. Uh, the, you can look at the profile at the vehicle and you can see uh, as soon as the wheels kind of become a little bit closer to each other, you have that clearance. Um, so you have a little bit more confidence, maybe, because if you're running over a rock, as we did, uh, we were in, uh, um, in New York um, at, for the R1S drive, uh, New York State, not city. <laughs> Up in the Catskills. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, you know, you have more confidence a little bit, because I, at least me, when I go off-road, and uh, we do it, you know, weekly, um, here we have an off-road de dedicated channel for off-roading tfl off-road and I, I have a lot of like mechanical sympathy too right i i don't you know i know the vehicle is capable but i, I don't want to bash it right i don't want to you know hit the bumpers or hit whatever underneath it uh, uh, suspension components and frame and what r1s provided because it has a height adjustable suspension as well right on, on top of this a little bit shorter wheelbase which is, by the way, 
I believe it's about 127 inches, which is not that short, actually. Um, that's a, for an SUV. I mean, it's, it's a three-row, seven-passenger, seven-person um, SUV. Um, and the adjustable suspension that where you can lift it up to 15 inches of um, mm -hmm. ground clearance, which is class leading, right? There's not many stock vehicles that have that um, mm -hmm. at all. So um, even like the Jeep um, on 35s or the Bronco Raptor um, are not getting close to those numbers um, as far as ground clearance is concerned. So I was struggling with this. I was, I was driving it and I was thinking, what does it compete against? right? Because not only is it electric, it has four motors, right? Four electric motors um, in this Rivian setup. So it has all-wheel drive. Of course, it has clearance. They put us on all-terrain tires, right? So we had really good 34-inch tires. Uh, but as far as, let's just take electricity off the table. I mean, I was just struggling, like, what does it compete against? Um, one vehicle that I came, uh, I, I kept coming back to is the new Land Rover Defender. Yeah. Uh, because they almost have the same feeling, you know, they're kind of boxy. Uh, there are three row SUVs. What, what do you think um, this R1S, what, what do you think it will compete against? That, that's exactly, you know, what I was thinking, you know, and when I did my article, I, I kind of said, it's like the combination of a Land Rover, a Mercedes G-Wagon and a Lamborghini Urus. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's got that, you know, it, it goes as fast zero to 60 as the Lamborghini. It's got the, um, you know, the off-road capability of a Land Rover or even better. And in my opinion, it's got like the class and the prestige, I think, of, of a G-Wagon. Now, uh, maybe not yet, but I think it's going to. I think this is the type of vehicle that you can roll up to on a, you know, a trail. Like, you know, you can take it off-roading to crazy places. But then you could also show up at like, you know, a $250 plate um, uh, dinner you know, at the fanciest restaurant there is and hop out with your suit on and everything and look appropriate. Like you didn't pull up with this big, you know, off-roading truck. You pulled up with a, you know, a, a premium luxury SUV, you know, it was the same as somebody pulling up with a Mercedes G-Wagon. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. It, there is no exact, uh, uh, you know, comparison. I think it's a combination of a bunch of the premium SUVs that are out there. And it, it, it almost beats them all at their best feature. Yeah, so, so you, you recently, know, I mean, you, you do a lot of charging and um, videos, like you said, as far as, you know, how easy or how difficult it may be. And you recently did the BMW iX, right? So, so you recently had that. Um, and then, of course, the Model X Tesla technically is an SUV uh, as, yeah. as well. Uh, but like you said, <laughs> those are road focused, right? The iX and the uh, the Model X. Um, so this is really a unique vehicle. Absolutely. I mean, there's obviously some crossover with those two vehicles because, you know, and obviously it depends on where you live. I, I think most people that buy this vehicle aren't gonna do extreme off-road, you know, and uh, particularly in more urban areas, you know, where, you know, these are gonna be on the road. And I think in those areas, it's going to compete more with uh, the strictly on-road EVs like the BMW iX you mentioned, although that doesn't have third row seating. Um, but, you know, uh, like I said, you know, uh, even comparing it to those other SUVs, it, it does everything. You know, it's got the third row seat. It's, it accelerates like, you know, a, a Lamborghini. You know, it, it's, it, it, it has prestige. It has presence, too. When you roll up with that, like I said, like, you know, Land Rovers have a lot of prestige and presence when you pull up at one of those. I think the Rivian, once people understand what it is and see them out there, it's going to have that same cachet. And, uh, you know, there's people that go for that. And then there's people that go for the fact that they can take it anywhere. They can go camping. They could do adventure vehicles. It kind of does everything, which is it's really something. Yeah, and I want to bring up this point because I'm sure a lot of listeners and viewers have this question: is range, right? Um, because we're talking about we're we're, we're talking about truck focused um, electric vehicles, and you do a lot of range testing. Um, and so, have you done an R1T range test recently? Yeah, I did the R1T. 
Uh-huh. And it wasn't in, I did it actually in, in not very favorable conditions. The day I did it, there was like 16 mile an hour winds. And you know, winds will affect your fuel efficiency, whether you're driving a gas car or an electric vehicle. And I finished up at 254 miles, I believe, uh-huh. um, at a constant 70 miles an hour. I do these range tests where I make, uh, I have the same exact course. I do all the vehicles on the same course and I set them up exactly the same way. I follow a protocol where I, you know, check the speedometer to GPS. I set the tire pressure to, uh, you know, the manufacturer's suggested PSI. I, I put the, the climate control on 68 degrees fan setting number one. I put it in eco mode. I do the same thing for all the cars. So it's kind of fair, but there are things like weather that I can't control. And uh, the day I did the R1T, and it's a big boxy vehicle, there was 15 to 16 mile an hour headwinds. So, well, um, and I also drive in, in circles to try to alleviate, you know, I get a headwind for a what time that it's a tailwind. So that mm-hmm. helps uh, level that off. Um, and uh, I think, honestly, if the weather conditions were better, if there wasn't a lot of uh, wind on that day and it was a little warmer because it was also cooler, I think I probably would have went about 270 miles. I think that's a fair number to say. Um, with the off-road tires, the off-road wheels and tires, the 20-inch off-road wheels and tires. Now, the, the, the R1T is EPA range rated at 314 miles. That's the combined EPA range rating. That's with the road tires. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rivian says you can expect about a 40-mile um, penalty. So, right. you know, then that knocks it down to, say, 274 uh, as a combined rating. And I, I think 270 is a relatively fair number if you're going to drive about 70 miles an hour. But speed is is very important, especially with big boxy vehicles like the R1T, R1S. I think even going up to 75 miles an hour, just that five mile an hour is probably going to knock 10 miles off the range. And then I'd say 260. And uh, I, I expect the R1S to be very similar, to have a very similar range profile mm-hmm. as, the, as, the, as the R1T. Yeah, well, the R1S, and I was surprised by this, actually, looking at the vehicle in person, the R1S SUV has the same battery, the same motor setup, uh, same powertrain, you know, 835 combined horsepower, uh, but it's a smaller vehicle overall. So I was pretty amazed that they were able to do that, right, and still have the same battery. And even, I mean, EPA rates the SUV a little bit higher, right, 362 miles. Yeah, yeah so... so uh, yeah, I was pretty surprised by that. Um, and 270-ish miles. Let's let's talk about these, uh, you know, off-road tires. That's kind of realistic highway range. If you were in the city, um, so my experience with the Lightning. So I've been driving the Lightning for the last few days and weeks, a uh, couple weeks, and going through city actually. Uh, and I'm talking about average speeds of around 35 to 40 miles an hour where I have some jaunts on a kind of an open highway and then I have to slow down for traffic lights um, in the cities I, I go through. Um, the efficiency is far greater. Uh, the, the, the actual, the, the amount of energy you're using, especially regening, right? Um, stopping, coming to a stop at the traffic light or getting into traffic. Uh, do you have it set to one pedal driving? Yes. Yeah. You should do that in the city. I wouldn't recommend it on the highway as much, but in the city driving for sure. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. And, and the lightning allows you to switch that easily, right? You can go one pedal drive, which basically means as soon as you let off the accelerator pedal, it starts to slow down using the regen, it's, right? It's pretty strong. Yeah. Did you, yeah. How about the braking coach? Have you used that braking coach? It tells yeah. you how, how much energy you're of, of, you know, the possible amount of energy you could recuperate when you're applying the brakes, how much you are. And because the regeneration is is a blended braking system on the F-150 Lightning, as it is with most electric vehicles, not all of them, like Tesla, for instance, does not have a blended braking system. So when you depress the friction brakes on the Lightning and most electric vehicles, you're actually not activating the friction brakes. It's using regenerative braking up to a point. If you push it harder or you're making sort of a panic stop, then it uses both. So um, that's one of the things I like. And it gives you a braking coach. It tells you how much of that last braking incident um, was regeneration versus um, a friction brake pads, which is good for maximizing your efficiency. Yeah, totally. Uh, the brake coach, I think, is a cool feature. And I think 
it's maybe unique to Ford. I haven't seen it in other vehicles as far as kind of feedback. Um, I mean, a lot of vehicles give you feedback on your driving style, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so to speak. So if you're, you know, um, easy on an accelerator, if you're easy on a brake pedal, they kind of give you a score. Uh, but yeah. the braking coach, I think it's a little bit unique. Also, their F-150 hybrid has this. Uh, because it also has a smaller battery in, integrated into the F-150. Um, I, I, I like that feature because it kind of, well, it kind of lets you know, it kind of, so you can save your brakes. I mean, that's that's one benefit, right? You're saving your, you're saving your brakes, you're creating energy. So I, I kind of like that feature. So, you know, Andre, I've been driving, driving electric cars since 2009, full-time. Um, so I've driven over 300,000 miles, probably 325,000 miles on my uh, collective uh, pool of electric vehicles that I've owned. And I've never had to replace brake pads yet. Now, I don't have 325,000 miles on one vehicle. So, you know, I've had like, I've, I've typically somewhere around 50 to 70,000 miles, I'll, I get a new one. Um, but uh, I remember the one EV that I had, it was a BMW when I, when I um, uh, got rid of it, it had 73,000 miles. And right before that, the week earlier, I had the brakes checked and uh, they said they're at about 50%, the brake pads at 73,000 miles. So basically, you know, with normal driving, you can get 150,000 miles out of a set of brake pads. That's nuts, you know? <laughs> so, so yeah, if, if you drive uh, carefully, especially use the brake coach, it'll help you. You know, even a big heavy vehicle like an F-150 truck, Right you might be able to get over a hundred thousand miles on a set of brake pads. Now we all know, you know, with big trucks, you know, you're burning through those, unless you're a really easy driver, you go through brake pads a lot. And uh, that's a real savings. If you can go a hundred K plus without even having to replace the brake pads. Yeah. And the brake pads is one thing um, on trucks I've had, you know, sometimes you bring down the rotors as well. And that's a expensive job, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big hit. So I think that's a very cool feature. Now, the F-150 Lightning, uh, we all, both now also have experience with. Um, and it's very similar to the Rivian truck, actually, um, in the way that the curb weight is kind of similar. Uh, the size, the F-150 is a little bit larger, of course. Yeah. Uh, has a longer wheelbase. It has just a little bit wider. It's a full-size truck versus the Rivian, which is kind of between the midsize and the full size, right? Exactly. Uh, so- it's like right in between. I had a Toyota Tacoma. I just sold it. Um, uh, it feels to me like it's right in between the Tacoma and the Lightning. Totally. So what is your first impression on the Lightning? Have you been driving it uh, over the weekend or uh, how's it going? Yeah. So I've, I've had it for like four or five, I guess, five days now. And um, I just actually... Uh, Drove it down. I drove it down to zero because I do these zero to 100% DC fast charge recording. So I needed to get it down to a true zero. And uh, I did. And on the first, uh, say, tank, um, I, I had it charged to 92%. And on the first down to zero, I went, I think, 300, uh, 300 294 and 95 miles. So almost 300 miles on uh, on a 92% charge. I have the extended range battery pack. So that's right in line with them saying 324 for the EPA range rating. Now, it was a lot of, as you said, um, stop and go and running errands. This wasn't all highway. Uh, and I averaged 2.5 miles per kilowatt hour. Now, on the short stints I've taken it on the highway, it seems like it's averaging between 2.0 and 2.1 miles per kilowatt hour. I'm going to have full tests up on that soon. So as you said, it is significantly more efficient uh, driving it and stop and go and just running errands around town. And uh, that, that's, I mean, it's not unusual for EVs. The slower you go, especially you're able to recuperate a lot of energy. And the Lightning's a big boxy truck. I mean, the the, the drag, the CDA, the, the drag coefficient over area on the front is probably not great for it. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a giant brick going down the highway. So, uh, you know, two miles per kilowatt hour, which is coincidentally, maybe not coincidentally, pretty much exactly the same efficiency that I've seen on the Rivians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this has been my experience too. Uh, the F-150 Lightning does have this little spoiler that comes down at speed. Um, I think it's over about 40 or 45 miles per hour. Um, there's 
And then from the other F-150 trucks do that too. It's kind of a little bit of active aero, right? <laughs> it tries to be a fit, you know, as aerodynamic as possible, but which is pretty clever, I think. Uh, but yeah, it's really- It's still a giant block hurling down the highway. Yeah. Well, if you look at the grill, it's flat, right? It's yeah. just a big flat surface. Uh, but I, I want to bring this um, point in. Uh, we recently did some towing tests. Uh, we did a lightning towing test, compared it to a gasoline V8 pickup truck. Uh, I've done some, we call it the I-Gauntlet, where we do the mountain towing as well. I'm familiar. Uh, climbing climbing the uh, I-70 uh, high inter interstate. And the, the towing is not quite there. The range is not there. Uh, the capability is amazing. And here's what I mean. The stability, the suspension feel with a trailer, uh, I think, um, and I've, we've towed trailers between about 8,000 pounds and about 9,600 pounds. So quite heavy trailers uh, behind these, both the Rivian and uh, Lightning. So the stability and, and the technology and you know the cameras that help you hook up a trailer, all that stuff is there. Um, but the range is not um, in our testing. So I would recommend if, if you're looking for, you know, out there, if you're looking for an electrified pickup, um, I, would you agree that uh, city driving is probably preferable, right? Uh, hauling stuff, maybe, you know, commuting if that's what you do. I, I think that's where, especially electric pickups, I think that's where they shine. No, I agree. And the thing is, you know, there's so many different use cases for pickup trucks. Uh, this isn't the Swiss Army knife of pickup trucks. It can't do everything for everybody. The Lightning we're talking about. Uh, and that's okay. It, it is Ford's first electric pickup truck. And it doesn't have the largest battery that, say, you could for a pickup truck. I mean, the Silverado is supposed to be coming out in a year or so. And that's going to have over a 200 kilowatt hour battery pack. The Lightning's 131 usable. So... Mm -hmm significantly bigger battery pack the Silverado is going to have. And I think we're going to see some of the, the pickup trucks have larger battery pack options as we move forward. But the thing to remember is there are plenty of use cases that even for work, if people aren't using this as their personal vehicle, in the US, a lot of people buy pickup trucks as like just their personal vehicle. Yeah. For me, it's going to be. Um, but even for work, there are plenty of people. I know contractors, you know, uh, builders, that you can drive all day. And sometimes they even need to hook up a trailer or go to a job site. But you know what? The job site's 25 miles away from their, from their yard. You know, they have a certain area where they're working in. It'll do fine for that. It won't work well, you know, going up the eye gauntlet, you know, carrying a 8,000 pound trailer and that needs to go from, you know, Montana to Oklahoma you know, and hey, that's okay. It doesn't have to do everything for everybody because Ford's still selling their gas and diesel pickup trucks. They didn't say, okay, you can't get them anymore. And this is what we have. You always use the right tool for the right job. And there are, in my opinion, plenty of perfect applications, even for work with, with the F-150. It's not just a Oh, if you're going around the city and running errands, there's a lot that this truck can do. If I had a boat, you know, we, um, we used to have a boat. The lake is about 42 miles from my house. I could trail any boat I wanted to there and back and not have to worry about it. The Jersey Shore is like 75 miles from me here. I could tow a boat to the Jersey Shore and tow it home. So, you know, I mean, there, there's things like that that work fine for it, but no, you're 100% right. It won't do everything for everybody. You have to know what your use case is. And the good point about it is, well, I won't say the good point. The point about it is, it's not like Ford is trying to sell 500,000 of these a year. They're, they're, they're you know, constrained by what they can manufacture. This first year, I think we're only going to get like 30 or 40,000 Lightning. And then by the end of 2023, Ford had said that they'll be up to a run rate of a uh, hundred thousand a year by the end of next year. So, mm -hmm. you know, they sell almost a million pickup trucks a year. So you're, you're still looking at even by the end of next year, the run rate's going to be one tenth of what they sell pickup truck wise. So you don't, 
just get the right truck that suits you. And maybe, you know what, maybe that next truck four or five years from now is going to be the pickup truck that can tow 500 miles, you know, 10,000 pounds. Uh, this is the first step to what's going to be a completely electric fleet. I'm confident in that. Within the next decades, at some point, um, everything's going to be electric. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I was just looking at the payload rating on our F-150, which is actually a Lariat. I think you also got a Lariat, correct? Yeah. Uh, which means it has many options. Uh, the payload rating on our F-150 Lightning is like close to 1,700 pounds. I think it's 1,685. And if you look at a half-ton truck, any, any pickup, including you know, gas or diesel, uh, that's a great payload. No, no matter no matter how you slice it. So they designed the suspension system on this truck to be very capable and also comfortable. Uh, actually, yeah. the F-150 Lightning, I, I'm re I really enjoy driving it. It's really, it really has an independent suspension front and back, which is unique for a full-size pickup. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's quite comfortable and the payload is there. So I would agree with you 100%. Um, if you did carry payload, you know, plumber job, electrician, anything, um, for you know around city that's a that's great usability for that um and you'll save a lot of money you know the the running costs on this is ridiculous i charge at home it costs me 15 cents a kilowatt hour so i can fully charge my lightning from dead for about 18 dollars, and with that i can drive 300 miles what what's it cost today to drive 300 miles in a in a diesel f-150 i i don't even know i would what? Venture to guess it's got to be $75, $80, right? It's got to be somewhere around there. So, you right. know, that adds up, especially if you have a running a, a, a small business, you know, you're a, a contractor or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, small, small contractor, electrician, whatever. Um, that's real savings. When you look at month over month, it's thousands of dollars of savings. So, you know, if you could make it work, you know, whether if it's not, hurting your business, if you don't have to trial hundreds of miles towing heavy cargo, uh, it's it's worth considering. And you have to understand also, Andre, we're talking about where infrastructure is today. Um, hopefully, over the course of the next five, six, seven years, you know, there'll be uh, DC fast chargers pull through for trucks with trailers um, uh, that, that are in convenient locations. So you know what? You'll be able to drive that 800-mile trip towing, you know, a 10,000 pound trailer, you might have to stop a couple more times than you would if you had a gas or diesel vehicle, but it'll be convenient. You'll be able to pull in and yeah, that stop won't be 10 or 12 minutes. It'll be 25 to 30 minutes. Uh, but you'll, you'll, you won't mind spending that extra 10 or 15 minutes if that trip is saving you 150 bucks, you know? So yeah. that's one thing to consider. So you're in the East coast. Uh, we're here closer to the West. Uh, so how's the network where, where you are? I mean, uh, I, I mean, looking at maps, you know, looking at Electrify America maps, other Charger Max, pl pl plug share, it seems like, um, would you say, I know we're, we're, we're talking about pull through chargers, which kind of don't exist right now, but other than that, are you seeing the network of chargers? Are you satisfied by that? Or do you think it's still lacking, uh, if that makes sense. So I'll, I'll, I'll never be satisfied because okay. I'm all into charging. But um, I, I, I'll tell you one thing. I, I don't complain as much as maybe some other people do with regards to infrastructure. Uh, because as I mentioned earlier, I've been driving EVs for 13 years now. And back in 2009, when I got my first electric vehicle, there was zero infrastructure here on the East Coast, nothing. You were completely constrained by charging at home. You were on a leash. So what I've seen in the last decade is, to me, it's amazing what we have now. And, you know, we're built up on here on the East Coast a lot more than you are or middle America is. You know, the coasts have a lot better infrastructure. I could, uh, as a matter of fact, I have a friend that lives in Florida, and his house is like 992 miles from my house. So it's almost exactly 1,000 miles. I'm thinking about doing uh, the trip with the lightning thousand mile New Jersey to Florida and just documenting, you know, how long it took, where, how long I had to stop, things like that. And I looked at the infrastructure on the way and I was like, wow, it's even better than I thought. Like I'll be able to choose where I stop. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's plenty of places 
from here to Florida for me to go to. And I don't have to drive miles off of the highway. They're very close to the uh, to, to the main highway. So we have it a lot better here than what I think you have in the area where you live. I, you know, I talked, I have other friends that have electric vehicles kind of in that, you know, um, Colorado, Wyoming area, and it can be pretty tough in some of those areas. And, you know, the fact of the matter is they're putting the charging stations in where people are and where electric cars are. So, you know, take, for instance, I mentioned Wyoming or North Dakota, uh, you know, it's, there's so few people per square mile and so few electric vehicles that the companies that install these charging stations are like, we, we don't want to spend half a million dollars to put in a, a high-speed DC fast charging station if one person a week is going to plug in. Now, I know that's the chicken and the egg thing, mm-hmm. and you'll eventually get them in some of these more extreme rural areas. They'll get there, but it's going to be the last. We're going to populate the areas where the vehicles are first, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, but it's a simple matter of business. You know, if if you were running this business of, of, of selling electricity and putting in charging stations, you're going to initially invest all your money where the highest concentration of these vehicles are. That makes total sense. And you can kind of see it on the map, right? Big cities. Uh, I was just looking at like Sacramento and Portland, right? And others, because we're, we're also, like I said, embarking on a journey, Northern Lightning uh, journey, where we want to go to Alaska. Uh, that's a whole different story. <laughs> uh, as far Can as I charging. come along, I'd, I'd love to do that. Can I tag along? <laughs> Can I bring my truck and follow you guys? <laughs> yeah, please, please come by. But but like you're saying, um, it's a little bit t- tougher here in Colorado um, and heading into Utah maybe and going a little bit more towards the West Coast. Uh, California is pretty good as far as Northern California, as far as I can tell. But But now you're also... You know, there's lines of chargers at places, right? So, so some of the charging, um, they need to speed up putting, you know, p- putting more more of these stations in in some of the higher populated areas. So, but for for me at least, right now here in Colorado, we have big distances, right, from Denver to uh, let's say uh, Grand Junction, Colorado. It's like 300 miles, right? So, and it's mountainous terrain, and so. So uh, we still, yeah, the infrastructure, I think, still needs to greatly improve. And then, of course, there is a question of where the power comes from. Uh, I hear that question quite a lot. And it just depends on your local region, right? I mean, different regions are, you know, working in different areas. There's thousands of utility companies right across the nation. So so, um, it varies. And Hopefully, like as we move on, it gets just better and better and better. Yeah, I agree. And it will, Andre. It's good. Like I said, it's going to take some time in the more rural areas. It's going to be frustrating for a lot of folks in those areas that would like to uh, go electric. Um, But we're going to get there. Uh, And I think some of the answers to some of the more rural areas is going to be on-site energy storage, uh, where maybe the utilities don't have robust infrastructure in some of the super rural places. Uh, but they'll be able to accommodate the fast charging by having banks of battery packs at that location. So they can kind of trickle feed those over time, you know, with, with the, the electricity supply that's available so the cars can charge quicker. Um, I mean, that only works up to a certain amount of utilization when if, if people are pulling up every 15 minutes to plug in, you know, then, 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 the, the, then we're talking about upgrades, infrastructure upgrades, you know, new transformers, new power, you know, that, that goes out to these rural areas. And we are going to get there, but it is going to take some time. Um, shifting gear just a little bit, I want to talk about, well, it's, it's about the same topic, really. It's energy density, right? Because we talked about batteries and the energy and the energy it takes to, you know, drive a vehicle and move cargo, et cetera. Um, do you, uh, so I look at, I often look at miles per gallon equivalent and I wanted to ask your opinion on this. I mean, do you put a lot of weight into this? But uh, according to you know, the studies that were done, uh, a gasoline, a gallon of gasoline is about 33 kilowatt hours of energy. And every time I think about this, my brain explodes. <laughs> 
<laughs> because a gallon of gasoline and diesel is a little bit more power dense. Actually, diesel fuel, a gallon of diesel, I think it's like 35-ish or 36 kilowatt hours of energy um, um, that's in it. Um, and we're talking about the Lightning and the Rivian truck having about 130 kilowatt hours of energy on board. So basically you're driving around with what, four gallons of fuel? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I think it highlights two things. And I want to get your uh, opinion on this. First of all, it highlights that the battery energy density is still maybe not as great as it could be, but the efficiency of these electric vehicles is actually amazing. If, if you can go 300 miles or 270 miles on four gallons of fuel, uh, that's quite impressive, I think. No, I agree. And that's what I was going to ask you, you know, what, what, what diesel pickup truck do you know can go 324 miles on three or four gallons of, gas, of diesel? I, you know, it doesn't none. exist. And that's because, I mean, you know, the uh, liquid fuel uh, gasoline is incredibly energy dense. It really is an amazing, um, you know, fuel. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, I think uh, I don't have the exact percentage here, but it's close to 70% of that energy is wasted through heat. So yeah, it's got 33 kilowatt hour of, 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 you know, energy stored in it. But even though we've been refining electric or uh, gasoline and diesel engines for over a hundred years and, you know, pouring trillions of dollars into research on making motors more efficient, more powerful with less amount of fuel, we still waste about 70% of that energy. Only like 30% of the energy goes to powering the wheels. So, you know, yes, it's a great form of energy. It has great energy density, gasoline and diesel. But what good is it if you're only getting 25 to 30% of that energy you're actually using you know, the rest of it, you know, the electricity is the other way. It's about 90% efficient. So, and that's why you get, you know, uh, the, as you said, like the 80 miles per gallon equivalent. And I mean, some EVs, the cars are 140 miles per gallon equivalent. So these big hulking trucks are in the seventies, which mm -hmm. is, you know, amazing, but it's, it, that doesn't tell the whole story because to say that it's like getting 70 miles per gallon isn't, telling the whole story because you're getting 70 miles per gallon on something that's 90% efficient versus, you know, uh, something that's 30% efficient. It's, it doesn't tell the whole story, but in any event, um, talking about the batteries and, uh, and the energy density, it's increasingly, it's getting better so quickly. Uh, you know, I remember when, when I, um, uh, and the cost, the energy density to cost is, mm -hmm. is, 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 really, really improving. When I got my first EV back in 2009, the battery pack um, cost $40,000. And it was, it would take the car about 100 miles. And now we have a battery pack that's, you know, uh, equivalent in the same size that will take the car 250 miles and cost $15,000. So, you know, the, the, the cost has come down tremendously the energy density has gotten so much better and you know every year i mean there's no moore's law of 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 batteries like we don't have seven percent every year or ten percent yeah. or whatever it is and but but we are seeing there has been kind of a, a steady increase and um that points to within two or three years us being at say cost parity where um, the cost of the battery, because let's face it, that's what makes electric vehicles cost the most, it's battery. Mm -hmm. um, the energy density and the cost of the batteries will have come down. And by, say, 2024, 2025, we'll have parity. And um, you'll have a gas pickup truck here, electric pickup truck here. They'll both go about the same distance, and they'll cost the same amount of money. We're only a couple of years from that right now. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Also, competition will help, right? You mentioned the electric Silverado is coming in about a year. Uh, there is an electric Ram pickup coming maybe within a year and a half, 2024-ish uh, model year uh, timeframe. So competition will help. You know, there are others. Um, 
the Hummer SUV is coming. So that's going to be another comparison. Well, that's here, right? <laughs> yes, that's going to be another comparison to the Rivian SUV we discussed, although slightly different use case uh, there as well, because it's a two row, not a three row. Um, but yeah, to your point about energy uh, efficiency, and I'm talking about energy efficiency of the gasoline engine, I think Toyota recently, uh, about a year ago, they worked on a gasoline engine that was approaching 40% efficiency. You know, and this, like you said, it took 100 years or more of, you know, refining the internal combustion uh, engine. Um, and it's, just, it's not just the engine's fault, right? The internal combustion engine is one thing, but then you're connecting it to a transmission, right? You're connecting it to drive shafts. You're connecting it to differentials and axles. Um, there's a lot of links in that chain. Um, all of that, and a lot of it is heat, right? Like you said, because also just friction, you know, friction is heat um, in a lot of those components. Um, electric motors are, you know, way more efficient, like you said, what, 90%, 85%, 90% or yeah. more? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. energy efficient. Uh, but there is also this weird quirks about charging, as you know. Um, when you're charging, you have some losses, right? So the energy delivered by the station, not all of it actually goes into your battery. Um, so yeah, there, there's little, little funny quirks um, kind of on both sides. But I, I think, like you're saying, if the batteries are becoming cost-effective and and more dense, and there's solid state battery technology, right? On the horizon, mm -hmm. we can kind of see that coming, uh, which could be a, a game changer uh, in this space. No, I agree. And you know, what I've seen with DC fast charging as far as energy loss, um, somewhere between 6% and, and 10 or 12%. Um, some of the cars, the faster the car charges, typically there's more losses because there's more heat. You know, the more heat you're pumping through, one of the things that I was shocked at, and this isn't even, I haven't even published this video yet because I just did it last night and I have to do further testing. I did my lightning, my zero to 100% lightning test. And that has a usable battery capacity of 131 kilowatt hour. And when I was done, the station said it delivered 136 kilowatt hour. That's incredibly efficient to only have about five kilowatt hour of losses, way less than the average EV. Now, it's still too early. It's only my first zero to one hundred percent recording, uh, but but that's something for me to keep an eye on because I was shocked at that. I, I haven't figured out what the percentage is, but Jesus, what's that, like two and a half percent or something, three percent? Mm -hmm. Super low for DC fast charging, um, and uh, you know future tests may prove that that was an anomaly. But uh, since we were talking about charging efficiency, and yeah. I just did it late last night, I thought I'd bring it up. Yeah, totally. And um, I, I have a little bit of data on this, too. Uh, we drove from Dearborn to Denver to, to Boulder, Colorado, which was about 1300 miles when we um, first picked up our lightning. And I saw and we charged like 11 times. Mm -hmm. We charged like, I think, 10 or 11 times all over the 1300 miles. And that by itself sounds insane. <laughs> uh, some of the listeners are probably saying, what? You stopped 11 times? Yes. Uh, once was to sleep. We stopped at the hotel um, and we charged at the hotel. And then we stopped. Every other time we stopped, we wanted to stop. Uh, for example, we visited a friend in Chicago. Uh, we, um, you know, had different meals. Uh, we had to use the restroom. So it wasn't uh, only once I think we stopped when we didn't want to stop um, in order to get uh, more electricity. Um, so it wasn't as awful as it sounds. And I saw energy losses kind of like what you saw, but we never charged full, right? Mm -hmm. So we never, we would stop for sometimes seven or eight minutes. We would pick up, I don't know, 30 or 40% of battery kind of in the middle of the battery. And then we would keep going. And I saw low losses a few times on the order of two to 3%, kind of like what you said. And then I had a couple of charging sessions where the losses were greater. Mm -hmm. And like you, like you're saying, I, I, you know, I would have to go back and do more testing, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think it just depends on kind of where in the battery you are, how hard the how vehicle hot it is, 
Yeah. Yeah. Did you, were you sitting in it? Did you have the air conditioning on while you were charging those things? You have to make sure everything's powered down because that's going to count on that, on your charging session. So, you know, there's, yeah, you know, there's a lot of things that can affect that, but I'm going to do, cause that's like what I do is charging as, as well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to charge this thing like for the next month, I'm going to record almost every charging session and make like a master video of, you know, really crunching the data so we could try to find, figure out exactly how well this thing charges. Yeah. And that's another question. Like, um, let's say you stopped, let's say the charging station is at the Walmart where a lot of Electrify America stations are, and you know, you, you're going in to get some food or maybe you're shopping a little bit, uh, whatever you're doing. So you're not actually at the vehicle or with the vehicle and the vehicle's powered down, right? The AC is not running, et cetera, et cetera. But, but sometimes maybe you don't want to shop. You don't want to go anywhere. You have to sit in the vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of other options. Um, like you're, I agree. you're not near a hiking trail. Yeah. But you know what, Andre, it's not that big of a deal if you use a little bit of electra, extra electricity while it's charging to keep yourself cool. Uh, you know, that's um, that's fine. You know, w- what I'm talking about is I'm trying to figure out exactly what the charging losses on this are. So for me, I have to have a controlled environment all the time. Totally. For the average person, put that AC on if it's hot and while you're charging, who cares if you use an extra two kilowatt hour of electricity to keep yourself cool? You know what I mean? So, um, you know, uh, that, that's we're just getting real nerdy here and geeky with the uh, charging right. losses. And I don't want the average person to think they have to sit there without putting on air conditioning. As a matter of fact, the best policy is not even to sit in your electric vehicle while it's charging. As, as you said, you do other things while it's charging. You, you, you are going to stop anyway to use a restroom or to grab something to eat or to sleep. For instance, you, you plugged in at a, a lot of hotels now have charging stations. So you go, you check in, you plug it in and the next morning you're fully charged and you leave and they're free. They it's like getting a free tank of gas by going to your hotel. So, um, you know, I always, whenever I stay at a hotel, I always check if they have charging and I choose my hotels based on if they have a charging station, because, Hey, I'm getting a free tank, you know, I'm paying the hundred bucks a night for the hotel room, but I'm getting a free, uh, uh, you know, a full battery. Totally. We, we, we didn't have a great experience on our trip. Uh, this hotel had a very slow, uh, charging, uh, connection. Um, so, uh, yeah, do your research, Andre, you got to know ahead of time. Yes. Next time, not not only will I ask, do you have charging? I will ask, how quick is your charging? <laughs> what did they have a regular household outlet? Was that what no. they had? <laughs> no, it was a level two. Well, I'm, once again, I'm doing air quotes. It was level two, but I think I calculated in the end, it was like five kilowatt. It was, yeah, it was a lot. A lot of them. A lot of them have like it'll be on a a, a thirty amp circuit, so it can only deliver twenty four kilowatt, or even on damn it, a, 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 you know, a twenty amp circuit. You know, so it's yeah. it's it's really charging slow. So you always ask ahead of time, and you check apps like PlugShare because they they give you all the details on how fast it'll charge. You just you know, you do have to prepare if you're on a long trip. You do have to do a little research so you know what to expect, and there's no surprises. And then you still need to have a backup plan. Yeah, totally. So we'll we'll do more of this as you, as you know um, by going you know through Canada and to Alaska. Um, it, it does. Well, so we want to be one of the first with a pickup truck up there, right? Uh, an electric pickup truck. So that's kind of what kind of is is uh, driving our you know what we're doing uh, with it, and uh, we want to experience it too, and and also see beautiful areas. <laughs> Uh, these these areas are very very beautiful. So, um, so I want to I want to thank you. I think we're kind of wrapping up here. Uh, I want to thank you for your time. Um, it, it's always I'm glad we spent some time at the Rivian event together because I'm always learning, right? Um, and we all I'm are trying to and explaining electricity to some people. Um, I have to learn it in the way like thinking about like liquid. You know, because like we're all used to water or talking about gasoline and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, so it's always good to kind of talk about this gallon energy equivalence equivalency, at least for me, right? Because I'm trying to understand it. I'm, 
I'm trying to see how efficient this vehicle is and, uh, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So at least, uh, um, and like you said, 30 amps, 50 amps, some people don't, it doesn't mean anything to some people, right? Um, and, and, but, and Andre, that's, that's really what I'm doing on my channel, State of Charge. Um, it's, it's educational as well as it's entertaining. And, and I really, because I understand that one of the biggest impediments to somebody switching over to an electric vehicle is, is charging. It's the biggest impediment because other, other than that, the vehicles are, are, are pretty much the same. You know, I mean, they might be more capable, but the vehicle is a vehicle. So um, a lot of the videos I do try to explain charging speed, charging rates, different connectors and things like that. And, uh, you know, that's really the focus of what I'm doing, because even someone like you who's been in this industry that's been exposed to electric vehicles still has questions about this whole charging thing. So mm -hmm. how do you think the guy that doesn't have any experience with, never even touched an EV, he's thinking about getting a Rivian or an F-150 Lightning, where's he starting at as far as converting MPGE and connectors and amps and volts? So they need a place to go. And I'm hoping to be that place to try to explain how EV charging works. Yeah, that, that's really useful, uh, I believe. And um, very simply speaking, you know, amps is like, think about uh, water flowing through a hose, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of your, your flowing uh, rate. And uh, the voltage is kind of like the amount of pressure. Think of a water tower on top of your city, you know, uh, providing water pressure. That's kind of like the voltage uh, that's that's available, and of course, anyway. So we can we can talk about another hour probably about this, but but I like you know those terms, and it helps. Obviously, the more current you have, the faster you can possibly charge, right? Um, and it, it starts to make if sense the, if the car can handle it, if the EV or truck yeah. can handle it, because the vehicles have limits on how much power they can take in. So there's two things to consider. How much power can the charging station deliver and how much power can the EV take in? So that's what makes it, it's, it's not simple. And you know what else I just found out like a week ago with uh, spending time with the lightning? You know, they provide the your level two cable, right? The, the, the charger that comes with it. Um, it's 32 amp capable. So I, I, I didn't know that immediately, right? So uh, we went to... Um, a 50 amp um, out circuit um, outlet. And I plugged in and I was like, oh great, I'm gonna get 50 amps, you know, I'm done. And I look at the box, so it says 32 amps. <laughs> well, even a 50 amp circuit couldn't deliver 50 amps. Did you know that? Uh, no, where, where's it at? So, so the way it works, electric vehicle charging is considered a continuous load. Now I'm doing the air quotes. A continuous load, meaning that it pulls maximum power for, I think, more than three consecutive hours. So when you have a continuous load, you're only allowed to deliver 80% of what the circuit is rated at. So if it's a 50 amp circuit, like you were on, the most it would be allowed to deliver is 40 amps. Now your portable uh, charging cable could deliver 32 amps. So you could have squeezed out another eight amps, which would have made you charge a little quicker, but it wouldn't have been that much of a difference. So you know, you couldn't have delivered um, uh, 50 amps, you know, um, from, from that circuit. You see how there, there's a lot that people don't know about circuits and charging and everything. And uh, you know, it's, it's, there's gonna be a learning curve with EVs and charging. Yeah, but um, and that's why I'm glad, you know, you do, you're doing the work you're doing. And also, you know, we're providing, you know, the, the work we're doing, too, as far as towing Absolutely. trailers and, uh, you know, going off road um, and etc. So, Tom, once again, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, you, you people can find you at State of Charge on YouTube, Inside DB, InsideDB.com, right? Uh, because you also write articles over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, Tom. And we'll see you next time on TFL Talking Trucks. Um, and alltfl.com is one place shop, one stop shop, because we have eight channels. So it's kind of hard for you guys to probably track what we're doing. But alltfl.com is one place you can go and you can get all everything automotive in one place right there. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.